Daily Drive is brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Innovation. Resilience. Agility. It's how Michigan businesses continue to work together to make a difference now and shape the future. Join us and make your mark where it matters. Visit michiganbusiness.org slash radio. Hi, everyone. I'm Steve Smith with Automotive News, and this is Daily Drive Rewind, a look back at some of our over 350 Daily Drive interviews with leaders from across the industry. Today, we revisit my conversation with Mark Thomas, Vice President of Marketing and Alliances at RideSell, a third-party mobility platform. The company is working with OEMs, dealers, and fleet providers to help them create profitable shared mobility models. We discuss the state of shared mobility, what companies thinking about shared mobility should consider, and much more. Here's my conversation with RideSell's Mark Thomas. Hi, Mark. Thanks for joining me on Daily Drive. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks, Dave. How about yourself? Doing fantastic. Thank you very much. So let's hop right in. State of the business. What is the state of shared mobility today as a result of COVID? Uh, are you seeing any shifts in usage patterns, behaviors among consumers? Yeah. It, what's interesting is there really are two kinds of shared mobility. There's the kind where you're in the vehicle at the same time as another person, uh, ride sharing. And then it's the kind where the vehicle is shared between people, but not at the same time. What we're saying is that people are much more reluctant to get in and, and share a vehicle with somebody else at the same time, in the same way that they're, they're really getting more reluctant to take public transit. Um, but while, while ride sharing has seen a drop in demand, uh, car sharing has really taken off. Uh, and in fact, most of our customers, uh, in fact, all of our customers now are at a higher level of usage than they were pre-COVID. Um, it's really been a pretty dramatic uh, change. So RideSell, you among your clients include OEMs, dealers, fleets. How are you helping your clients during the pandemic? And what are you seeing and hearing from them relative to what their greatest needs are and maybe their greatest challenges? Um, certainly, there's there's been um, a new category of customer that's arisen, and that's the the customer that wants access to a vehicle because they are concerned about taking public transit. Um, they're concerned about classic ride sharing, yet they don't necessarily want to take a vehicle for uh, classic, um, you know three to five year lease or vehicle purchase, which has a commitment, you know, really implied in years. So there's a, there's a rise in new customers that are coming uh, that are interested in short-term uh, vehicle leases or short-term vehicle rentals. And uh, so we're seeing now that, that OEMs are coming to us and saying, Hey, how do we get the simplicity that you have uh, with car sharing, which is essentially, you know, download an app and customers can take a vehicle um, and they don't have to worry about insurance or maintenance or even, you know, tow packages and things like that. How can we create um, less friction to get customers into vehicles for a much shorter period of time? 
And so that's why we've really taken what we've done for shared mobility and now just applied it to non-sharing scenarios where we're, we're finding that this new class of, um, of customer um, who really wants to be able to access vehicles um, is something that they can now, now get into a vehicle and keep it, you know, whether you call it a short-term lease or a long-term rental or even uh, app-based. And then the other piece is that customers are expecting to have uh, no contact services. And, you know, the classic sales process usually involves uh, quite a bit of digital research by the customer, figuring out what it is they want. But that entire digital journey gets broken the minute they have to step into the dealership uh, and find a salesperson, explain what it is they're looking for, uh, and then, you know, hand over their driver's license, um, hand over their proof of insurance, and finally uh, get to go on, on a test drive. If you can, uh, it, people now need these no contact services. And so what we've done is uh, we've applied the same technology that we're using for car sharing and now uh, are able to let uh, OEMs um, and dealerships set up test drives so that people take the dealer's app, they download it, uh, they provision themselves by taking a picture of the driver's license, they uh, they enter the credit information, credit card information, and then can schedule uh, an appointment uh, to take the car out. And whether they only want to do it for 20 minutes, maybe that's what the dealership will offer for free, uh, whether they could get a much better test drive, take it out for two hours, um, charge a bit of extra money, um, which could then get applied if they decide to, to purchase that vehicle. And when the customer gets to the to the, the test drive car, they don't need to see anybody. They just unlock the vehicle using the app on their phone and get in and, and take it for a drive. So it's much more like the, the no contact service model that we're seeing um, customers really start to demand from you know delivery services and pretty much uh, everything else that we have uh, here in life. And it's this short-term customer is something that our, our car-sharing customers have really seen and observed. What we found is that their fleets are being driven more uh, and their customers are keeping their cars for longer. And uh, so what's happened is that these car-sharing services, which you normally think of, um, and we, we talk about how in... Um, say Madrid, the Zidi car sharing service from uh, Renault, those cars were getting used up to 10 times per day. And that was really the, the metric for success is what's the utilization rate? How many times can that car get used? They have since uh, realized that customers want to hang on to these vehicles for longer now. And so uh, Zidi, for instance, which never used to have a daily plan, now has a one, two, and three-day plan that they offer. Um, in Madrid and now their newest city, Paris. And our, our customer gig in uh, Northern uh, North America, they have added not just uh, daily plans, but weekly plans, monthly plans, and even now a subscription plan that lets you get a vehicle with the convenience of, of an app uh, and keep it for essentially as long as you want it. Um, in fact, uh, in breaking news today, we launched a Toyota Sweden initiative called Kinto Share, 
And that project uh, is car sharing out of Stockholm um, with Toyota. And their customers can rent the car either for a few minutes or up to a few months. So even the, the newest car sharing uh, offerings are now coming out with um, you know, month-long options for their customers. Well, congratulations on the uh, big announcement and the new partnership. Um, yeah. Can you share any more about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've been working with uh, the Toyota Europe organization and working with their Swedish uh, division to help them with their Kinto initiative. And so Kinto Share is a car sharing solution that is out in Stockholm. Uh, and they are uh, using uh, a mechanism that allows customers to um, reserve the vehicles, uh, pick them up, and keep them for as long as they need to. So it's a very nice um, service that's been launched. Let's go back to your, you know, some things that you outlined in your in your previous uh, response to how you're helping your clients, specifically around subscription models. I think there are, you know, number of examples of fits and starts of that business model, certain companies trying them, shuttering them, uh, various degrees mm-hmm. of, of success, if you will. Do you think that COVID is creating a resurgence for subscription model for uh, subscription models? Uh, do you think that type of business model is uh, growing in interest again around, around OEMs and others? Absolutely. Um, subscriptions are back, but they're back with uh, an asterisk. And that, they're back, meaning they have to be run and designed properly. I think the early subscription models by OEM uh, were designed around a very high-priced service that had a considerable vanity element to it. And the marketing was, hey, you know, take the SUV when you want to take the family to the snow, but then you know, rent the convertible when it's a nice summer day. Um, it's about switching vehicles. And the, this really is subscription, I see as a, almost a payment mechanism. It's, it's access to a short-term vehicle lease with the convenience of having the insurance bundled in, with having the maintenance bundled in, uh, and even having the emergency access to tow bundled in, so you don't need to be an uh, a, a auto club member. And that uh, it's not about switching vehicles. And people will pay a premium for having shorter term access and certainly having it all bundled in. But I think that, you know, the premium needs to be more like 15% uh, over the cost of a long-term lease, as opposed to uh, something that's uh, uh, you know, two or even three X um, for the privilege of, of this whole car swap model. It's maybe a uh, uh, democratization, if you will. It's it's subscriptions for the masses and not subscriptions for you know the premium luxe segment, which has been you know the the examples that we've seen in in recent years. Um, definitely, that's that's the case. And also the, the, the onboarding process, the gig car share has put together now uh, even a month-long plan, and which means you can get access to a vehicle just by downloading an app 
uh, and registering for their service and clicking uh, the, the rent button. How much simpler can that get? You don't need to establish a relationship with an insurance provider. Um, and it's, you know, it really is bringing in vehicle acquisition, um, not in a shared manner necessarily, but it's dedicated to you for the time period you have it um, with the simplicity of the app age. And that's really where this new category of, of customer, which is like, you know, 20% of all the people that are riding public transit in North America no longer want to take it until we have a vaccine. And 20% additionally are going to dramatically reduce their usage. And so for those people that don't have a vehicle that they can fall back on, um, this short-term uh, access to vehicles really becomes important. In the pre-COVID world, if you took a car share uh, and you drove it one way and left the car and the car wasn't available to get home, um, you could ride share or take public transit. If people are now worried about that, then they want access to that vehicle um, themselves in order to be able to complete the round trip, uh, in order to be able to ensure that they can get places safely without having to put their health at risk. We'll have more with Mark Thomas right after this. Innovation. Resilience. Agility. It's how Michigan businesses work together and continue to build the future. Our expertise, talented workforce, and collaborative environment are making a difference now and shaping the future. Join us and make your mark where it matters. Visit michiganbusiness.org slash radio to put your plans in motion. That's michiganbusiness.org slash radio. Let's talk about the future in a post-COVID world. Future of mobility is, you know, this vision of shared, integrated, seamless mobility ecosystems. You want to take a bike and a train and walk and a shared vehicle to get from one place to uh, another. You could do that seamlessly, you know, on, through one service provider or one app. Mm -hmm. What are the challenges to get there? You know, it's interesting, but it's not technology. Uh, in fact, some of the biggest impediments to the entire mobility revolution have been um, the government and local regulation. Vehicle, uh, driving a vehicle and parking a vehicle seems to be the, the birthright of people who live in cities. And it has been very unpopular whenever um, cities decide to close a lane to put in a, a bike lane or a mobility lane, when they take away street parking in order to put in uh, a car share dedicated spot or um, even more white curb lanes so that the people getting in and out of uh, ride sharing vehicles aren't holding up traffic. Uh, lots and lots of people uh, object to that. And so even my hometown of San Francisco, it's still uh, not allowed to have a free-floating car-sharing service here in the city uh, because a lot of the local residents don't like um, cars floating in front of their house and parking. Um, what's interesting is that the, the pandemic has really brought to light um, the need to make more streets available for, for outdoor activities, for walking, for, for kids, 
Um, and so, in, you know, in San Francisco, there are miles and miles and miles of streets that have just been blocked off. And I think that potentially the attitudes toward, um, in, you know, parking entitlements may have finally hit a tipping point where people realize that, hey, it really can improve the quality of our life if we close these streets down and make them available to, to cyclists, um, make w wide lanes so that you can have uh, an intermingled group of, of e-bikes, bicycles, uh, and scooters that are all sharing a nicely paved road as opposed to um, being, you know, the scooters jumping on the sidewalks, um, the e-bikes uh, having to merge into traffic. And so creating a, a better environment, um, one that's really supported by the, the local government regulations and encouraged, you know, encouraging people to get out of their cars is definitely now uh, something that has become more fashionable. And uh, I'm optimistic that the cities and maybe even some, you know, state regulations will uh, allow companies to more easily get in this business. So let's close with... Uh final question around mobility business models and profitability. Can mobility business models be profitable? What's the path to get there? And what would you offer advice or any advice you would offer to our listeners who might be exploring mobility driven business models? Yeah, certainly, Steve. I think in the early days of mobility, the, the belief was all you needed was an app, a vehicle and a way to, you know, remotely lock and unlock it. And um, that's about as sophisticated a solution you needed. And then you just needed customers after customers. And what, what these companies found was you have to build in from the beginning um, profitability, because if you just start by trying to grow a business uh, without understanding all of the cost drivers and all the revenue drivers, uh, you'll really end up with a, essentially a money losing situation. And I think it's given a number of these, uh, the industry, a bit of a bad rap in terms of, hey, uh, this is not a business where you can uh, can achieve a profitable business. But we call it um, high yield mobility. And that's um, when you are able to build a business that has both a delightful customer experience, um, uh, focus on um, efficient operations, and then um, the ability to really increase the utilization. And so to, to get utilization higher, it's not just about putting the fleet out for one single business model. Um, because if you do that, that business model has a latent uh, demand. So if you have a free-floating car sharing service, for instance, and that's the only thing you use your vehicles for, um, that has a natural demand in the, of the middle of the day. Um, scheduled rentals and long-term rentals have a different demand curve. So if you can take your one fleet and have some vehicles uh, put uh, in stations that they can reserve, others that float around, and that mix is dynamically updated, what you can do is you can time the peak of each of those demand curves and get from a business that essentially barely breaks even to one that really has a high upside because the vehicles are being put in to multiple different kinds of uses. And then the other piece is um, building in uh, operations controls so that when uh, you have a decision that 
I think this car is parked in a street cleaning spot in, let's say, um, three hours. Uh, it's subject to a, a fine um, for parking um, during a street cleaning zone. You can you can either spend $20 to have that car uh, moved, which um, is a cost, and but it's certainly better than, than paying the fine. Or you can have the system be smart enough to know, okay, within three hours of street cleaning, make this vehicle 20% off. And I guarantee that when you make a vehicle on sale like that, people will walk, go out of their way. Um, they'll walk 10, 12 blocks to get that particular car because they view it as, hey, I'm, I'm saving money. It's a definitely a price sensitive segment. And so suddenly you've gone from having to pay $20 to move that vehicle to incentivizing somebody else to come in and you're making you know, $12 on the rental. So it's, it's the combination of building in the, uh, the fleet ops experience that lets you intelligently save money um, as well as ways to make sure that you have multiple uses for your vehicle so that you can um, ensure that they're used for many different businesses. And uh, that's one of the key ways. And then, you know, kind of on the, the last note to leave this on, uh, it's if you add in and start to build electric vehicles as your fleet um, vehicle type, like our customers, uh, you know, gig is done in Sacramento or, um, that Zidi has done all through Europe, um, those vehicles are dramatically cheaper uh, for the fleet operators to, to maintain. It's less than half the cost of an ICE engine. And unlike a privately owned e-vehicle where customers themselves have to then figure out, how do I keep this vehicle charged? What if they don't have a charging station in my apartment complex, or there's none where I work, or I have street parking? These vehicles generally end up in a depot once every three days to get washed and cleaned. Um, it's very little marginal cost to plug them in and also charge them before they put them back in the street. So really sharing uh, and e-vehicles are something, you know, as a fleet that really unlocks both the, the power of the e-vehicle and the cost savings that e-vehicles provide. Mark, terrific insights. Congratulations on the exciting news between RideCell and Toyota. And thank you for joining us on Daily Drive. All right. Thank you, Tuesday. That's it for today's Daily Drive Rewind. For breaking news, visit autonews.com. And for a library of our previous Daily Drive episodes, go to autonews.com forward slash daily drive. We'll be back tomorrow. As always, thanks for listening and make it a great day.